Podcast episode 27. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And I'm going to go out on a limb here today and say that this podcast may be the most important podcast I've done to date. And that is because I'm going to tell you exactly where to spend your digital efforts to get seen. And I want to issue the spoiler alert right now. It ain't Instagram. Now, don't get me wrong. You need Instagram, and I'm not saying give up on it. According to a 2023 Artsy survey asking dealers how they found artists, 61% of galleries that were less than three years of age, list they listed Instagram as the most important source. So you need it. But Instagram is not the future. The future and stick with me for this, the future is email. And in some ways, it always has been because you own your emails and you know that the email has been delivered when you send it. Unlike with Instagram, where you have no idea what you posted. You may not know if somebody opened the email or you know it got sent to spam, but for the most part, you know that it is at least hit somebody's inbox where with Instagram, you just, you don't know. And this is why I have put so much effort into the email curriculum inside the network membership, which helps you build a mailing list, even if you're starting from zero, because I've always felt that it's really good insurance against algorithmic culture, which is very fickle as we know. And it's also something that I have always believed would set the artists that I work with apart from the competition, of which there is quite a lot. Now, I want to just acknowledge here that I fully recognize that creating a newsletter is not a task most artists are going to get excited about. So when I said that, hey, this is a really important episode, I didn't also mean you were going to enjoy it. I think you might actually be really, (laughs) this is not news you're going to love. But it's important. Most artists I work with find it less stressful and more natural to deal purely with images, which is why Instagram, I think, can be so appealing, especially the earlier iterations. It's also why you might be put off putting together an email altogether. Emailing people can be scary. And generally speaking, you should use words in the email, which can also be scary. And I suspect that it's part of what's behind the complaint that really is complaining about something else, but I think is also an avoidance strategy, which is the complaint that if you you don't already read newsletters and neither do your friends, why would this be something that you need to write? Why do you need a newsletter? And I'm going to answer that by beginning with the problem with that argument, which is this small sample size of the group undermines the findings. In other words, just because you don't read other people's newsletters doesn't mean that others won't read yours or more importantly, in the future, won't come to read emails. And I think we're seeing a lot of changes in different industries 
that suggests that email is a, going to become a bigger focus. And changes in the art world come a little bit more slowly. So if we can recognize them in some of these other industries, we can get ahead of some of these changes. And I am here to tell you that this change is coming. So I'm going to talk about how I know this and how we can help each other with this knowledge. So first of all, and this is anecdotal, I'm not pretending like this is... (laughs) This is evidence of anything, but I will tell you that I am reading more newsletters than I ever have. And I like subscribing to Substacks because, you know, I only need to parse one person's point of view rather than thousands. And I am sick of an algorithm serving me what it thinks I want to see. I want more control. And I don't think that I am alone in that because I see that stated not just by myself and people I follow, but by media figures. And so they are parroting what they are are seeing in the larger culture. So Ezra Klein, an op-ed columnist for the New York Times and founder of Vox Media, wrote on Threads recently. Threads is like Twitter, which is now called X, um, but that's the Instagram competitor. He writes, I find myself exhausted with the algorithmic internet and longing for the curatorial internet. Individual people telling me what they found and liked. Newsletters seem to be the home of that. And increasingly, the newsletters I never miss are the ones offering long, idiosyncratic lists of links. But I only have a few. Would you recommend any? And so the thread has over 200 replies of recommendations. And keep in mind that this is not Twitter yet. Threads is just developing as a network. So 200 replies is quite a bit. And I think it's worth mentioning that the New York Times is investing very heavily in newsletters right now. Now you, you are not the Times. You're not the New York Times. But I mention them because they are experts in distribution, which is how visibility is made and achieved. So they're really a good place to look when trying to figure out where to place your efforts. And you'll notice this is something that I do inside the membership too and have talked about, but you'll notice that I very often point you to larger companies that are doing work that will indicate where you can place your efforts because they're spending hundreds and thousands, like millions of dollars on on developing media strategies and websites and all the rest. And so if you know the right places to look, then you know where you can focus your efforts to. So now, you know, as a disclaimer, of course, which this podcast seems to be full of, uh, full of, you know, this is a media lens. This is my specialty. But according to the World Association of News Publishers, the Times is investing in newsletters for three reasons. All of these reasons also happen to apply to artists. And so that's why I'm bringing them up. So the three things, the first is free briefings, newsletters. That's what they provide. So this is intended to make readers aware of offerings and build habits. So if you're sending out a newsletter semi-frequently, 
What you are doing is making them aware of the art that you make and building habits. So let's talk about these two things. So one, people won't know what you're working on unless you tell them. So that's really important. And it's important to do it more than every once in a while because they're not going to feel like they know you, which makes collaboration of any sort like a lot less likely if you if they only hear from you once a year, right? So you want to make sure that you're talking to them like they're a friend. Two, if you as a user click on a link once, you're like way more likely to click on other links. I don't know what the percentage is there, but it's and it's really, really big. So this is a way of building link clicking habits and establishing and building trust. So keep in mind, you know, if you're only emailing somebody once a year and when you do that, it's to ask them for something like, hey, come out to my show, that's going to feel kind of icky. That's why it feels icky to so many of us. And that's why it's important to email, email people just to let them know what you're working on too. Because that way, when you're asking people to do things, you've already established a rapport with them. You know, I also want to be clear that your emails don't have to be all text. You know, they can be image-based too. I don't recommend omitting text altogether because those tend to read like spam to me. So that's just a habit that I would avoid. Other than that, you know, there are a lot of ways to send a newsletter that will be really, really engaging to people. So the Times also uses emails for and newsletters for automated and semi-automated emails. These deliver a single link and are aimed at bringing weekly users back to the website more often. Now, this probably sounds like it doesn't apply to you at all, but let me tell you how it does, because this doesn't need to be complicated. If you send a confirmation newsletter sign-up email, that's an automation. When somebody signs up, an email automatically goes out that says, hey, thanks for signing up for my email. And it has a link that leads to your website or to your Instagram. Like, hey, thanks for signing up for my mailing list through my website. You know, please check out my Instagram if you haven't already. You're building habits, right? And the point here is to get people to engage what you're doing. And to do that, you have to treat people like they're dumb. Not because they are, but because people are not looking for things to explore online. They're doing a lot of things pretty mindlessly and probably don't really even want to be online, right? So so they're not thinking in a super deliberate way, which is why you need to be super explicit in your instructions of what you want them to do. Otherwise, they're just going to bounce and they're not going to sign up. So your newsletter sign up on your website should say, sign up for my newsletter. It should specifically say that. And if it's below that text, you you would even add language that says, sign up for my newsletter below. That way they know where to look. You're just giving them all the information they need. Even if it seems apparent and completely obvious, it's really, really great to do that. Now, the last thing is, is the Times does these subscriber-only only newsletters. 
And they introduced those in 2021, so they haven't been around for that long. And these are meant to drive subscriber retention, meaning they want you to keep paying for your subscription. In your case, people probably aren't paying you anything to be on your newsletter, but you can give them a look inside your studio that they can't get anywhere else. So it feels special to them. And when somebody feels special, they feel more invested. They are more likely to go out to your show. They're more likely to buy that work or share it with their friends. All those things, when they feel like they are seeing that they are getting something special, they're more likely to do something with it. And so that's the kind of culture that you want to cultivate within your newsletters. Now, I've been thinking about newsletters a lot this week, partially because I went on vacation with my partner and a friend, both of whom work at the New York Times. And our friend has a very high profile presence in the culture industry, and they are moving him to a newsletter format. So you know the Times is taking newsletters very seriously when they move their stars to the newsletter format. And they've been doing that for the last year and a half. So this isn't anything new. Now, the more specific things to the art world, though, is that I have been noticing a lot more newsletters coming up. So Andy Flack of Flack Photo runs a photo newsletter and is spending more time there and less on Instagram. Artists like uh, Pablo Helguera has a Substack. Catherine DeVos Devine runs one that she's a lawyer for artists. Kimberly Drew, who does, she uh, goes by Museum Mammy on Instagram, does things I'm looking at. So there are a lot of different ways to engage in Substacks. Tiny Newsletter is another one. There's a lot of different services. Now, importantly here, and this is something that I think kind of catching steam, or I, I don't even know what the, the term is for this, but gaining traction, let's say. So Substack has a feature which sends recommendations for people to follow from the people that you follow. So in other words, if I am following Kimberly Drew and things I'm looking at, I will get a newsletter from Substack that says, Kimberly Drew recommends this person. Do you want to subscribe? And I can say yes or no. And that will get you a lot of followers that way. It can. So you can grow your newsletter way more easily than you can on, say, MailChimp, where you have to do everything yourself. And you can charge people for your newsletter if that's something that makes sense for you. Now, it won't for a lot of you, but if you are writing and sharing valuable knowledge of any sort, I recommend giving people at least the option to pay you because people will want to do that. Now, ConvertKit, a mailing service, they also offer a referral service at their what's called a creator level, which costs $9 a month for 300 subscribers and $25 a month for 1,000. Now, that's quite a bit more than free, which is the Substack charge until you start charging people and then they have a charge for that. But I like this platform for artists for a couple reasons and I'm going to go through it. They have a free account option for up to a thousand subscribers. There's no automations, but many artists don't use that anyway. So you can use that and level up as you need it. So I like ConvertKit for that. So I just want to note that I used to 
recommend MailChimp to most artists because they had a free level at, I think it was 2,000 subscribers. And that number keeps getting lowered. And they were bought out by Intuit recently, which is just a terrible software company. And pretty much everybody in the membership who is on MailChimp has been complaining about how the templates and all these other things don't work as well. So MailChimp is not my default recommendation anymore. Substack has something called the Creator Network. It's available at the creator level, and it allows you to recommend other artists and for artists to recommend you. So that's the service that's like Substack that allows you to grow your newsletter without having to do anything at all. And you can also charge people for a subscription. I believe it may be a little bit more complicated to set that up, but you may also have more options. I don't know that much about that. Three, their business model strikes me as a little bit more sustainable than Substack. And basically that's because recently they conducted a WeFundMe campaign offering support uh, subscribers a chance to own a piece of Substack and get a financial return on their investment if it went public, but they didn't provide any of the financials. And the only reason to run a campaign like this would be because they approached their previous investors and struck out. So I think there's more to this story than we have time for here. But the reason I bring this up, it's also not something that I think most of you even care about. But the reason I bring it up is that I what I don't want for artists is for you to lose your email list and payments from people, which can happen very easily if a company goes out of business. So when I recommend a company to artists, I like to make sure that I am feeling good about the sustainability of the business. And for Substack, I actually don't feel that way. So I give it a reserved recommendation because I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to lose anything. Now, if you are feeling ready to start a mailing list, hopefully this episode has given you a little bit of inspiration and some tips on how to do so because we've gone through some of the reasons I think for doing this now and a few of the providers that you can use that will help you build a list without having to do as much as other places where they don't have these recommendation services available. And if you want to do a deeper dive, you can sign up for the network waitlist because the curriculum in there, like we do a really deep dive on exactly how to build your mailing list, how to manage it. We have templates on like what you might want to send out to people so that you don't have to think too, too much about what you're doing. And you can just get this thing started. I want to thank you for listening to Art Problems, the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends on Instagram or wherever you connect with artists. It really helps us get the word out about the show. And of course, don't forget to leave a review. I want to know what you think. 